could see that something needed to change on that and that advertisers needed to to you know make sure that they were reaching black and asian and lgbtq plus and disability and religion and 50 plus and you know all, all these different demographics that actually make up two thirds maybe more of the world but everybody calls them niche when it comes to your career there isn't one formula for success and some of the best stories i've heard didn't follow a plan that's why I've created this podcast. In each episode, I'll share an inspirational career story and introduce you to the amazing person behind it. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the My Career Story podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith. Now, having done some um, counting and gone back through the episodes from season four, I realised that I've been um, working towards my 100th episode and I've stopped just short at 98, thinking I was on 99. Hands up, guilty as charged. Um, So I'm bringing forward an episode that was going to be going out as part of season five with Christopher Kenner, CEO at Brand Advance, a startup 100 2020 company which connects brands with diverse audiences globally through insights, media and creative that more authentically engage these communities. Chris is also the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Outvertising, the Advertising Industry Lobbying Group, and as a mixed-race out-gay father, is a strong advocate for diversity and representation within the media and advertising industry, as a member of the WFA Diversity Advisory Board. He's also on the Advisory Board for the V&A Museums, Chris is an award-winning entrepreneur, having received the Innovator of the Year Award at the second annual X-Forces in Business Awards, and was recently named on Empower's 100 Ethnic Minority Executives of 2020. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Excellent. So I'm going to launch into this as I do with every guest and say, Chris, what's your career story? Um big question for me i think because i've had two careers okay it feels like two lives but uh, my career story all right uh the very first job i ever had was in the hilton hotel in the isle of man during right. the poker millions competition i was waiting <laughs> well, that was the first job i ever did um, it was for two weeks um but first major career element i suppose was the army so I joined mm. the army when I was seventeen, and I left when I was twenty-six. Right. And in there, I was uh, I was in the Royal Signals first, so I was a SATCOM engineer, um, and then I was in, within UKSF. Um, so just doing a lot of telecoms, basically. Right. Okay. And I suppose that was the the first main career that I had. What was it that attracted you towards the army? Because I know a lot of the young people that I see today are looking at that as a career option. There's a huge opportunity for apprenticeships and things there in that space at the moment. So what was it that caught your eye as a young man? Um, I think it was the the physical aspects. So do all the fitness and the sport, etc. Alongside the fact that I hadn't done well in school and this right. gave me a career. Well, not even I hadn't done well, I just hadn't gone to school. Um, so yeah I needed something so I actually did my GCSE maths and English in the army right okay didn't do it at school Uh Um, so yeah it was a half uh, want and half necessity I suppose (laughs) 
life could be good, quite grim or uh, with career prospects. So yeah, I did the army. And then, like I said, I was out of the army at 26. Uh, and then sort of fell into media first. So, uh, and sort of front of camera presenting and stuff like that. And then started going into behind the camera production. So first TV and documentary production. Um, and then founded my first company in Manchester, um, which was a production company. Right. Um, and had that for a few years. And then moved to London. Um, I moved more into the advertising part of production. So making films for brands rather than making films for documentary and entertainment purposes. Um, and give or take a, 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 a sort of few little stints doing um, contract work for different agencies and stuff like MediaCom and mm-hmm. uh, what's now Wavemaker and stuff like that. Then founded Brand Advance, which I founded four years ago as me. Um, and now there's staff in five countries. Um, yeah. Awesome. Right. So you've achieved a lot there. So how did you how did you make that transition from the army into the world of media? Well, actually, it's a funny story. <laughs> I was I'm getting my breath because I was deciding whether I should really tell the actual story. But this is it. So in Manchester, you have clubs and, and some of them will open late at night and and then stay open till the next day. Yeah. So, so there was one that opened on a Saturday night at like one o'clock in the morning, and then stayed open till eleven o'clock on the Sunday. If anyone's ever been to Manchester, they know exactly what I'm talking about. It starts with morning, <laughs> starts with morning, and ends with glory. But anyway, I, <laughs> so I was in there, um, and I come out, and it was like sort of half eleven, twelve o'clock in the afternoon on the Sunday, and like the whole world, the horrible thing about coming out of the club at twelve o'clock in the afternoon. To the day after you went into it, it's like the whole world has continued. So, like, people are going to church and like shopping and stuff. In yep, enough, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm walking down the street, and um, and this uh, somebody came up to her, me and a friend, and they were uh, a modeling scout, and they were saying that we're just we're looking for people for this new advert, and would you be interested? Yeah, go on then, here's your card. And so took the card, went home, forgot all about it. And then the next day, woke up and this card was sort of stuck to my pillow. Went to sleep with it, being all happy with myself. Um, <laughs> and um, so I phoned it and then they said, do you want to come in and do a, a screen test? So went in that day, actually, and did the screen test in the afternoon. And then didn't hear anything for about a week and then got a call saying, that actually there's a Virgin Media advert and you've been selected, do you want to come and shoot the advert? You're going to be shooting next week. So I went in uh, and shot the advert. Um, uh, and then it sort of snowballed from there, really. While I was in shooting that, uh, I was a female director that was shooting the ad and her husband was there and he worked for Price Drop TV. He was the channel manager at Price Drop TV. I remember that one, yeah. Yeah, and he'd also been in the army as well when he was younger. So we just got chatting, and then he was like, at the end of me shooting with the with his wife for this uh, TV advert, he said, "Do you want to come in a screen test for Press Drop TV? We're doing screen tests in a couple of weeks. I can get you on the list." Yeah, all you've got to do is talk about something for twenty minutes, and hope that everyone buys it. So, <laughs> um, 
cocky me said, yeah, I can do that. So I went to it. It was about two, maybe three weeks later. And it was actually in London. So and anyone that's northern will know going to London is like going on holiday, especially when you're younger. And you, do you know what I mean? Like, it was like, I'm going down to London. And it's like a whole trip mindset thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went down um, last week for the first time since before the pandemic. Um, I ended up moving out of London last year because of it and I was just like a little boy like so excited it, it really is so I traveled down to London to come and do this uh, this press job tv screen test um, and I actually live right near where where it was actually so it's sort of like a full circle now um, and yeah and then got the job so I did price job tv for about five months maybe six months and while I was at price job I went and screen tested for MTV and I got that gig, and that's how I did MTV News. Uh, and then from then is when I started I'm sort of looking at them filming, uh, yeah. in the shows and thinking, oh, I could do that, I reckon. <laughs> so cocky. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's what drives you in your career, really, these little moments where you decide, like, can I do that better? And I've always been really driven as well. You know, when I was in the Army, I couldn't just be in the Army. I had to go to Hereford and do selection, and you know, and then, where, so in the civilian world, it was the same thing, you know, I couldn't just be one, like I always have to do the next thing, yeah. whatever yeah. that is, you know, and if anybody's got some, a bit more responsibility than me, or my even, you know, I'd even, if I'm going to speak honestly, I'd even say my perceived um, version of them having more authority than me, then I have to do their job. Right. I mean, like that can't stay in my mind for very long. I think I've got to. I'm yeah. still a bit like that now. I've just managed to contain it a little bit now. But I suppose I'm the CEO, so there's nobody's job to take, is there? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that was really the beginning of it. And I suppose even then, you know, was the beginning bits of of that entrepreneurial thing that you know I don't. I don't know where it's come from. I've just just always been there. Maybe it's because I didn't have parents, and so mm. I was jealous of everybody else that had a family because I was in care. So mm. maybe it's just like since I've gotten to an adult, I'm, just like, I'm going to be the best at everything I can be, and it's not going to matter where I came from. Yeah. I'm going to be at the top of my game now. Yeah. 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 That's a, I mean, it's a really good quality to have, and I suppose suspect there's a lot of people that listen that might be looking at doing something for themselves or building a career that they are going to be completely in control of I say completely in control of but I know that I have my own business and that you can't control everything but it gives, it gives you a sense of control doesn't it um like kind of if there's anybody that's thinking I want to do that but I'm not sure whether I can is there any advice that you would give them just do it just do it there's, there's, you know, like my journey is different to your journey. That's going to be different to everybody else we ever meet, you know. Mm. Um, and I'm sure, like me, you get to meet quite a lot of people that have, you know, entrepreneurs have done their own business of whatever it might be. Um, you just go and do it. You know, you'll never know unless you give it a try. Yeah. And then I would even go as one step further as to say the successful ones and the worst just don't give up like you're gonna think it's not gonna work a thousand times even when it works you know i have yeah. the privilege of you know up to 100 staff and officers in different countries that i don't even visit people that work in countries that i've never been to i have staff there you know like india and stuff like that um 
But and you will have times where you just think, what am I doing? I could just, I'm qualified enough to get a good job now, and I could just like. But I think what differentiates us, you know, me, you, others that continue to do it, is just that that even if I fail, I'm going to get back up and do it again. I just find another way. Yeah. You know what I mean, like there's, you just you're going to do it. So so if anyone's listening, thinking I want to, they want to start their own business, just go for it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. You know, even if it's a rubbish idea. Keep working to find the good idea. Yeah. There's good ideas tucked hidden behind bad ones, you know. Ones that you thought everyone was gonna love. They didn't quite love that, but mold it, learn, see is there a little bit of it they do love, you know. I'm sure you've had the same where you've start you've got a new service or a new offering to a client and you're like, everyone's gonna snap it, this is it, this is what's gonna do it. And then no one cares. <laughs> you know, like, really? yeah yeah I've, I've had a lot of that over the last 12 months where i've been like what could i do now what's this? they might need this they might i mean they it causes you when you go through a time like we've been through slash going through at the moment things change and you see opportunities and you go well i'll just yeah like you say, saying i'll come up with that service for it and then it is there is that moment where you go oh nobody likes it as much as i do <laughs> <laughs> I really want to keep pushing it because I love it. Because you love it. Yeah. The, the, the reality is I've got to keep a roof over my head, put yeah. food on the table and stuff. So I'm going to have to let that one go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one good bit of advice that I've always, uh, I don't know if someone gave me it or if it's just, but fail fast. You can fail as many times as you like, just do it really quickly and get on, get back on and go again. Do you know what I mean? Just fail fast. You know, I think good entrepreneurs know when the thing's not actually going to work. And you push it a bit further than you probably should have needed to. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. We always look back and go, I should have stopped that probably two months before I did. But but you learn a lot in that time, you know. If nothing else, you learn what not to do again. <laughs> you know? But most of the time you learn stuff from it. Oh, you'll make a connection. Yeah, maybe somebody, a client didn't buy that service, but you made a connection with a client. And now when you've got the thing that they do actually need, you know, it's really easy to get it in there. Because they're like, yeah, yeah, I remember you. Didn't want that one. This one's perfect. Yeah. That a few times. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I mean, is that where the kind of the idea and the foundations for brand advance came from a, a good time of you sitting and understanding what people did and didn't want and then going right okay I'm going to launch this yeah a little bit I, I mean a bit of it came from anger because I've got two kids Carol and Jerome and my kids and my daughter's white and my son's mixed race mm-hmm. um and advertising speaks to my daughter all the time and speaks to you know but totally um, has things like keyword block lists where it's a list of words that you um, that a brand gives to an agency and says don't put my brand next to any articles that have these words in yeah. you know things like that um, and they were describing me you know uh, and my son so me as his black gay dad and then is describing my son as a you know mixed race young guy um, describing us to a T these words that brands were given and it just annoyed me like how dare you? I'm like you know, yeah. um, and so that's really why I started Brand Advance, where I could see that something needed to change on that, and that advertisers needed to to 
you know, make sure that they were reaching black and Asian and LGBTQ plus and disability and religion and 50 plus and, you know, all, all these different demographics that actually make up two thirds, maybe more of the world, but everybody calls them niche. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know but it's just, just always totally astounded me and how brands did, wouldn't understand, like, the spending power of LGBTQ plus community because you know you've got two same sex couples that pro quite career driven because life's been quite harsh so they stuck their head down and got into work and do you know what I mean yeah um, and so I just never understood any of that and then black culture as well of saving money and um, uh, uh, and Asian culture of you know starting a business and supporting your family and you know Muslim culture a lot the same. Yeah. And given a lot to charity um and so yeah i just wanted to build a company in an agency and now it now it's a group of companies so there's eight companies now we've got a lot of we own a lot of media so a lot of magazines etc and events and then we've got a media agency a creative agency a uh, a data and insights agency and a media consultancy as well called deca um, and all all these companies um they all have one aim, and that is to make sure that advertising and marketing does better. You know, is better, bees better, does better. And we're very privileged to, to have clients like Unilever and Diageo and Google, Amazon, Facebook, mm -hmm. um, through to Adidas and Nike. And you know, we do we do a lot of campaigns, and we've got offices now: in New York, um, Berlin, Paris, and we've just opened one in India. Um, so you know really privileged to be to be growing and to have found something don't get me wrong we've been lucky as well uh, you know, I think you make your own luck I'm not saying entrepreneur but I think we all have to to sort of or a lot of the time we have to hold our hands up and say we got the right time as well you know the whole world became conscious you know a year and a bit after because for the first year no one gave a damn what I was saying in Cologne, in Germany, on stage at New Mexico, and no one gave a damn when I was like, "You need to make sure that you're reaching black people, and gay people, and people with mm. different ability." And then when I was in Cannes in France, I did the same. I was on Google stage, and Google was at first quiet, and they, and still everybody else didn't quite get it. You know, oh yeah, it sounds good, and I know I should be. There. And then COVID happened, and then Black Lives Matter happened, you know, and then um, movements with prides and stuff happened as well, and LGBT free zones in Poland and all of that uh, rubbish that made everybody go, yes, we need to do an actual effort. We need to put mm -hmm. our money where our mouth is. We need to be conscious because our consumers have just had everything took away from them and are now, uh, they know they can turn down any brand in the world because they were made to only. You know, the only brands they had was Little and Tesco for a year. Yeah. Yeah. So now we know we can do without all of it. You know, I don't need to go to someone else every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that really helped us as a business as well. And then bringing in the right teams. You know, probably is one of the most diverse companies in London. You know, over 100 offers. And there are people from every demo community and every demographic, which is... A major superpower, but has had its uh, its hardships as well because inclusion is hard when people aren't used to being around people from different communities. You know, because we are tribal, aren't we? As a mm. So yeah, um, but uh, the company, you know, the the idea turned into a company, and the company's turned into a bit of a, 
a movement for us, I suppose. Just, you know, growing fast and yeah, very blessed and happy that my career has actually become a career. Otherwise, I could have just been running up and down sand dunes in the army for the rest of my life. <laughs> going back to something you're saying there, so when there's so much going on and so many different causes that people are. And being vocal about and using their voices to share their opinions around as well. Does that make it easier or more difficult for you to be able to kind of work with brands to tell stories, to run campaigns? Because you kind of got one side, I suppose, where my head thinking is where companies are, are dragging their heel, the heels and not necessarily wanting to engage with, and now they're going full throttle with it. Is it hard to balance, to find a balance with them? Yeah, no, it is. And I think sometimes you sort of, because on one hand, you, even though that most brands, 99% of brands are, are, are in it now, they're invested, but they still not got a clue, like at all got a clue. They still think they should only do their LGBT marketing during Pride Month. Do you know what I mean? Because for somehow our gayness just wears off after the June. <laughs> And doesn't come back again till the first of June the next year. You know? <laughs> um, so, uh, and then the same with blackness as well. You know, um, they really see black and brown people during um, Black History Month, and then it's like, yeah, okay. So, shall we do that again next year? Like, no, we're going to do it tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. And you know, so there's still a lot of education to do with the brands, and then with. Um, I mean, I don't totally agree with cancel culture as well, but I think there's there's a lot of pressure from consumers going on to brands as well. So uh, if they will cancel them out, they'll literally just say no, and it doesn't take long before a cancelled brand is no more. I mean, Topshop's a good example of that. Like, it literally got cancelled, you know. Everyone got, you know, nobody identified with Kate Moss in the window in, in London, Oxford Street, like it was just like that's not us anymore. We don't, none of us look like that. So, yeah, it is interesting that one. I was chatting to um, a graduate that I met at an event last week, and um, she's working at Misguided, and we were having a, a conversation around fashion, and Topshop popped up. And that is one of the brands that I don't think many people saw crumbling. You thought it was popular, but then you also, we should have all seen it because I'm not that I have some psychic ability. I did notice it's irrelevant. It's like you'd, you'd look at its ads, think of it against Boohoo or ASOS. And I'm sorry, like I love Boohoo. It's from my hometown, Manchester, but it lasts about two washes, right? Where at least the top shop will last yeah, yeah. 20 washes, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. But the one thing with Boohoo is, you know, you would see plus side muscle models, you'd see black, you'd see LGBT. They had the pink bus at Manchester Pride every year. You'd see it bloody going around and doing a little queer fashion show from the back of the bus and stuff like that, you know. Um, it had relevance, even if the clothes were rubbish, you know, it had relevance. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas Top Man, Top Shop, you know, Kate Moss in a window looking beautiful had no relevance to anyone. Mm. You know what I mean? And it was literally, that's all it kept pushing was other Kate Moss lookalikes in windows, you know? If it wasn't actually her, it was somebody else that looked like her. Yeah. So I, I think I think 
we all sort of noticed its irrelevance because we stopped noticing it. We just didn't really give it much thought because we've all got our own lives to get on with. Yeah. You know, we weren't bothered about some billionaire on his boat losing out. But um, whatever his name is. Um, so yeah, I think it's a shame though, isn't it? Like Topshop was like a, I thought it was like the shops looked cool. They did, and it's left a whole like one of the things we were chatting about as well was that it's just left this whole space, like actual physical space, yeah. in like the the massive well-known retail area, yeah. being one of the biggest cities of the world. I mean, I didn't get when I was down there last week. I didn't get a chance to go into Oxford Circus, but just that impression of seeing somewhere boarded up and just yeah, yeah. how are you going to use that space like what does that mean for other brands moving forward for fashion I mean we've all started buying stuff online you've mentioned um Boohoo and ASOS and things there they don't have physical stores but yeah, that, yeah. That, but there are brands that are still on the high street that have managed to get through the pandemic do you know, there. Do you know what I'm always impressed with you know um and I've never been into one always because the queues are too big but you know like the skater shops, they'll have queues for miles. Every yeah. so often you come across one down an alley and you're like, where are they all going? And there is just hundreds of people waiting hours to get in and get some new sneakers. I think that needs to come out of the alleyway a bit. Do you know what I mean? Like even if it's pop-ups in the space where, you know, there's, there's something happening there that we're not all in on. Yeah. We're obviously not cool enough, but there's <laughs> something happening that is bringing people out and they will queue all day to get to whatever it is in there. So I don't know. I'd like to see a bit more of that. There's, it's sort of like there was the, the fast fashion, which, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I'm making assumptions and thinking we would go into to the, uh, you know, into top band and just have a little look, browse around and sort of enjoy the browsing around, even though it was still, Every year was like the same clothes, just in a different colour, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. I quite liked that one in some ways. But, yeah, maybe there's that middle bit where there's this really popular culture thing that's going on that we're obviously no one's ever invited us to. Where that can come crossover into being a bit more mainstreamy, but popular, whatever it is that's going on in that in that one there. I think that'd be a cool yeah. space. Yeah, I get. I, I remember like in somewhere um, down the back of Soho, somewhere there was the breakfast club and I used to go there with friends and you when you queue for ages to get into that anyway. But then when you're inside, you'd see the skate shops and stuff across the road and tattoo shops or, or a chocolate shop or whatever with those queues. And it's funny because you look at those and you go kind of like, well, what's, what's so interesting in there? But then down on Regent Street, you get the new iPhone launching and people will camp out all night anyway. So it does it does happen on the varying different scales there, but it is always kind of like, I suppose there's a role for brands around kind of that secretive kind of, we've got something you haven't, like what yeah. is it? And, yeah. and a, an, an in-conversation that only the loyal customers know about that yeah. is always going to be really lucrative and powerful for a brand. Yeah, and it would be nice, it would be great to see if there are spaces and see if someone comes up with a business that can slightly make that more mainstream. Like, so there's a place in Manchester, I always go back to Manchester because it's the motherland, but there's a place in Manchester called Almost Famous. And it, so the first one was like just this door in the Northern Quarter and you went in 
and you went upstairs and then there was a bar and you got burgers. And everybody used to queue to go to Almost Famous. And then they got one down near um, Northern Rail. They got like a bigger version of it, you know. And now it's it's still got that amount almost famous, you know, and it's got the best burgers and it's a little bit as if it's a bit uh, unique, but it's actually crossed into a more mainstream. Like there's a couple of them now. It's a bit of a chain and yeah. and, and there's, it's not so hard to get in anymore. But, you know, I think somebody with this, maybe somebody listening to this can, come up with it i think when you can cross that take that exclusivity and still make it feel special it's never not going to feel exclusive if it's popular if someone can do that with some of those spaces if someone can do that again with retail mm. just want to go and queue because there was a time when you would queue outside top shop for a long time yeah you know, and they used to have a dj playing and you would you would literally go there and stand and queue and um if someone can bring that back yeah, it's a little challenge to all your listeners. Because <laughs> I'm a spenderholic, I shop all the time. So someone come and make shopping cool again. Well, there you go, that you've given them like the idea and the your wallet to, to spend yeah, it. My wallet. Yeah, perfect. So I, I wanted to touch on, whilst we're having a conversation as well today, around kind of the challenges of working for yourself and, and everything like that. And there's, there's the um, World Mental Health Day coming up as well what are some of the things that you find tough either running your own business or just generally within life that you think you could help uh, the listeners with um so up until recently i would probably arrogantly in the back of my head say that i've not really ever found anything tough i've been blown up in the army uh, left my wife and kids you know and come out and been publicly outed because it wasn't uh, in, it had a little bit of a news thing around it when it first came out um, and thought that I've weathered it all pretty well until the last year so the last year has probably been the best year of my life in the you know uh, business has grown uh, massively uh, I, yeah I've become a very privileged gay black guy, you know, privileged in where I get to live, privileged in what I get to do, etc. And I've really struggled on, I don't know, I've been very tired a lot, a lot. As the business has grown, when it, when it was like 20, 30 people, I, I could answer all the questions and know what to do next. When it got to 50, it was a little bit more difficult. When it got to 100 with a board and people in countries, in different countries, that alongside having a teenage son that's a little gap, um, which, you know, I love you to bits, Jerome, but just forever causing trouble for me in this mom. So that as well. And then just life, like I didn't do well being locked up. Like I'm a dog, you can tell I'm sure. <laughs> You know, like I right, I'm finding this very easy. It's fine. <laughs> you know, I'm talking though. Like I'm nervous. I'm a talker. We like it. You know, this is one thing I found hard about coming down into London was there was millions of people and nobody wanted to say hello or speak. It was just like, whoa, like yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's the loneliest place with millions of people in the world. So the I, I found I've just found. All of it has come together and then being cooped up in the house and like, don't get me wrong, my partner, Dean, I love to bits, but 
we've been together 13 years and like there's enough time in the house we don't need to be <laughs> locked together any longer He's, uh, you know everybody knows what i'm talking about with like gay lesbian or straight you know you just it's only so much time with the one you love that you can put up with before you start questioning everything like um so all of these things just compounded to i suppose a little bit of a mini i'm done like stop it's got to stop like world yeah. stop spinning i need to get off like i can't yeah. take don't ask me another question don't argue with me one more time don't tell me where i have to stay what you know i'm talking about partner work and government kind of thing here you know what i mean like, yeah. Every, it was just like everything was closing in. So um, so I took some time out. Uh, you know, um, I'm sat in the office now and she, she's sat next to me. I've got a great um, colleague and, and she's my sister as well, uh, Jess. And so I sort of went, I've got to go. Like, I'm really sorry. I know everyone wants answers to everything, but I need you to just make it go away. So she would just clear my diary. I took six weeks I wasn't totally away for the six weeks, uh, but it was sort of like, unless I had to speak to you, I didn't want to speak to you. Yeah. You know, I needed, and so then Dean took some time off as well. We went, we had the best holiday in Brighton ever. I highly recommend Brighton in the sun. Like I, we were really good because we were meant to go to Florida and then they canceled us two days before and said, you can't, we still can't get into the US. And then we're like, Okay, where are we going to go? And don't ask me who come up with the idea of Brighton. And it sounds like you've literally just swapped Florida for Brighton, but it was the best holiday ever. Like it was just like the sun was beaming. Anyway, so yeah, took some time out in Brighton. Um, I think after all that waffle, my main thing is, you know, even us that think we're tough, even us that have been to what I've been to war three times, went to Iraq twice, I went to Africa. You know, I've. I, I was one of them lame people, and I've got to honestly say, I was one of them lame people that thought they were too tough for mental health. Like, I've been blown up. Like, how, why is it going to affect me? You know? Yeah. Um, it does. And it hits you like a thud, like a train in the dark. Like, literally, don't see it coming. And you sort of don't even know it's there. Uh, you know, it took me a while to know, like, you're having a bit of a breakdown, Chris. Because you just. You know, I was becoming a, a not nice person. I've always been very driven, and you know, I can be very direct. Um, but being not nice is not cool. You know, we can annoy people in our day-to-day job because we're, we, we have to tell people what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? People don't like it. That's one thing. But just not being nice is not cool. There's no need to not be nice, you know what I mean? be direct but you should definitely always be nice and so but then when your mental health is being affected you start to not be a nice person because you're snappy and, and you don't know it so yeah all of that came on me and i think um you need people around you to, to tell you because sometimes you don't realize it yourself you're so in the thick of it you're so you're so consumed by you know that 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 pressure and that 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 pull on your mental health you don't realize it's your mental health you just you're just in it you know yeah. it's thick and it's foggy and you can't see any way out and, and so yeah um i've had it I, I go through it daily still at the moment i have to sort of make sure that i 
I don't overdo it now. Um, you got thinking about things as well, like what you're talking about a lot. I get, I do a lot of on stage. I'm on stage at, at the um, Excel this afternoon. Mm. You know, from this podcast with you this morning. I have to think uh, now a lot about how many times in a day or in a week I'm going to talk about trauma. You know, we have the privilege of being LGBTQ+, which is fantastic. We're a great community. I, I, I love it. You yeah, know I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we've got to remember as well, you know, as LGBTQ+, founders, we'll often be asked questions, which, what's it like to be gay? What's it like to be a gay founder? And they're fine, and you want to inspire other people, but you're also being asked to talk about trauma every five minutes. Yeah. Tell me what it was like when you used to get bullied for being gay. Tell me what it was like when people, when you used to, even if you didn't get bullied, when you used to be worried about telling the world that you were gay. Tell us mm. what it was like coming out and telling your wife. Do you know what I mean? These are all traumatic things. They were not fun at the time, and they're not fun telling you now. Yeah. You know? so, and you've got to keep yourself in check, otherwise you're sort of dragging yourself back down to... Yeah, you do, you do, yeah, I know what you mean, because it's like you kind of like when you go through that process of accepting who you are and sharing that with the world as well. And then you kind of like bury it thinking, well, I've dealt with that now. I don't really need to come back to it. But it is like you said, it's it's the hook. It's what people find interesting. It's the bit that allows us. Same as like I was watching the conversation you were having with just like us on um, Instagram Live today. And, and um, like it's the things that are going to help people behind us to not have the same experiences or to get through them in a better way than we did. Yeah. But yeah, it is when you're having to revisit that oh, all man. the time and the conversation doesn't necessarily change. There's, there's that kind of it is it's it's tough on your kind of mental health there. So like I think it's good that you've recognised the triggers and how to cope with it and build that into how you're approaching not just the way that you're running your businesses but the way that you're actually coping as a person yeah. as well because it'll put I would suspect it'll put you in a good position within brand advance that your employees are going to look at you and be like right okay we understand why Chris is behaving in that way or why Chris isn't available and stuff and it'll give them the confidence to ask for the same yeah from yeah from exactly well. because because the one thing you know unfortunately with brand advance the one thing with its rise so rapid rise is that everybody wants to talk about it and talk about its people. And so it's not just me that gets asked to talk about their traumas. You know, our black employees mm. to talk about what it's like being black in media and what's it like being black and missed in media. And, you know, and then our Muslim employees and our, our, our employees with a disability or, or a different ability, you know. So um, it's just everybody has their trauma and our differences are superpower but talking about it can soon make it not feel so superpowery yeah you know can sort of take that away so that that is probably one thing that um i've really learned to to to, to deal with and to try and help the rest of my team deal with yeah. as well excellent Okay, so I'm going to wrap things up with three questions that I ask every guest. So two of them that you gave me in advance. I don't know whether you can remember them or not, because I know it was a long time ago when I, when I shared this with you, but we'll go back to them and see. So I asked you, um, if your career story was a book title, Chris, what would it be? And you put against the status quo. So why did you go for that title? Because oh, my whole life has been against the status quo. <laughs> 
I mean, that's probably the friendly title that I could give it, the PG <laughs> title that I'd give it. It would have a lot of, there's a few different titles that I would give with my career. But yeah, against the status quo, I, I, against the grain, against, against everything, I hate things that are just because. Don't understand it. Why? Do you know? And the whole world is full of things. And the whole world is full of insane elements. Because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. Now, every sector, everything, lots of businesses, we all keep doing it. You know, we keep doing it. You know, I am no exception sometimes where... We're wanting something to change and be different, but we go and do it the same way again. So, yeah, against the status quo. Excellent. And three words that would describe your career story you gave me. Different, fast and bumpy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's three words. Um, it was definitely different. It's being fast. I'm 39 years old and I... Although I feel like I'm 21, but I um, I also don't know how I got here. I don't remember loads of it, to be honest. So yeah, fast and bumpy. Bumpy is the pleasant way of saying. How yeah. it's <laughs> um, final question for you, Chris. Um, before I let you go, what would be the one piece of career advice that you would give listeners? Um, I think I said it earlier, but fail fast go out there you do you you do it your way um, you know take advice listen to people take the bit of the advice that you want you don't always just because someone's done it before doesn't necessarily mean that their advice is right for you so don't always feel compelled to do what people say that you should do you do it your way you know because at the end of the day if it doesn't work at least you can say hands up i gave this a go i gave it my best shot and actually i might come back in a little bit and have another go you know um so yeah i'm fail fast just fail fail learn from it try not to make the same mistakes twice but even if you do don't make it a third time you know um learn watch Uh, i know it's a horrible word and i don't mean it in a horrible way but steal you know, like look around what other people are doing and nick a bit from there and nick a bit from there and put it together and it becomes yours, you know. Don't think there's anything that you're going to do that people haven't done in time before. So so there's no problem with you seeing something and saying, I think I can do it. I'm just mold it a little bit. But yeah. that's what life's about. It's about taking. It's a rich tapestry of things to, 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 to take and build your own duvet, if I'm going to go with that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, yeah, just go and do you. Um, and any di- difference because we all have difference with whatever it's the communities we come from that's your superpower yeah. put that to the front talk about it shout about it scream about it use it as part of your business use it as part of you use it as part of the sale you are your superpower so go use it excellent great thank you very much Chris for your time today it's been really good to hear more about your career story and get to know you as well no awesome Excellent. Cool. And good luck with um, the event at the Excel this afternoon. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks again, Chris, for joining me on the podcast. It was really great having that conversation with you. Please do like, share, subscribe as usual. And we'll be back next with episode 100, where I'll be answering the questions that you've shared that you'd like to know from me. Bye for now.